and welcome back to BYOP, Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope you've been enjoying it so far. Episode 16 now, mate. Episode 16, Ben Haynes. Yeah, How are you doing, mate? buddy. Good, good. Can I, you I believe it to... took us 15 episodes to do a superhero movie? No, that's a really good point, actually. Mm. I kind of, because I, I broke the tweet earlier on and I was like, have we done a superhero film? And we haven't. And also, like, we've done, we've managed to do Bond, we've managed to do Disney, we've managed to do Tarantino. So it kind of felt right that we did a superhero film. Okay, if we're talking about, say, some, some of the conventions that follow a superhero film, you might be able to argue, right, you might be able to argue, here's a hot one, off the bat, James Bond could be, yes, could possibly. potentially be a superhero movie of sorts. Is serialised. Gladiator. Gladiator, possibly. Maybe, you know. And, and I, do you know what? I was, no, I was going to say maybe that like even you kind of get into American Psycho as well because there's oh. that sort of, he's kind of like the anti-hero, isn't he? Well, he's um, naughty, yeah. Yeah, but I, I really enjoyed Spider-Man. I really loved it. Well, I, I, I did, but then, do you, know, do you know what the funny thing is, though? I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, like, how much we loved it, how we were talking about being kind of teenage boys, watching it and really enjoying it. Then Purdy, producer Purdy, what is he now? He's 24, 25 years old. Uh, I, uh, just thought it was totally cringe and thought it was awful. And, you know, maybe he didn't watch it at the right time. You know, maybe we would have felt the same if we'd have watched it at a similar age even back think- then. But... I do also, because I was thinking about this, right? Uh, prior to that, prior to prior to that Spider-Man film, you'd had the Batman films, which were so dark and so adult. There hadn't really been like a, a superhero movie aimed at kids, right? And, and since Superman, which was in what, like the 70s? And I remember yeah. growing up and I, I yeah. thought they looked, I watched them still, but they were super dated, right? Yeah, yeah, and 100%. I, didn't, I was never really in love with them. I remember the... You know, Lou Figara, the Incredible Hulk series that used to be on ITV. But, you know, I think Spider-Man, it, it kind of, it changed the game. But it, it, it did, when he was sort of basically saying, you are a relic, you you are just, you, you're so out of touch if you think this is a good film. No. Let alone the greatest. I was like, wow. No, wow. but that you've also just brought up another thing that I completely forgot. The, um... Pretty much all of the film, with the exception of like maybe five, ten minutes of it, is shot in the daytime. It's shot very light, yeah. very airy. And yeah. then it's kind of only really the final sequences and the bit where Uncle Ben dies, where it actually gets sort of not just metaphorically, but quite literally dark. And when I think of the Batman films, I just think of it being dark all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very and it gothic. Being grungy, Especially yeah, exactly. Burton's ones, right? Yeah, yeah. And and so I kind of, I don't know, maybe it was a little bit more uplifting. That was why why I quite liked it. But, um, but I wonder where the, I wonder what the point is. I wonder what the, the kind of, the bit that loses a younger audience, you know? Is it because there is an expectation around CGI now that maybe a younger audience isn't so affected by it like you and I might be? Maybe, and it may be just that there's been so many more examples of these type of movies now that if you're yeah. watching this afresh after having watched, say, the whole Avengers series, you're going to be oh, like... Oh, it just becomes like well, just another yeah, one. Just another one. Oh, it's just another Spider-Man film. As opposed, As opposed to the to first. 
Exactly, you know. Um, uh, possibly that. Like, I mean, even still, I, I'm. Do you know what I haven't done this week that I thought I would? I was really hoping to, but I've kind of got a bit stuck into Black Mirror this week instead. Uh, um, I was going to do Spider Man too, um, but I will do that. I want to kind of just see if that holds up as well. Have you been, been doing Black series. Mirror? Oh yeah, I finished it. It's great. I think it's one of the best series they've he's done in Ooh, quite okay. some time. W- was he across? It was Charlie Brooker across the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I think he's written every episode, at least oh, that's really co-written, good. co-written every episode. Yeah. I, I'm two episodes in. Um, and you know usually how we do like, um, we'd kind of do reviews of films and we are going to do that. But I mm. wondered if I could pick your brains on one of the Go episodes. On so I'm going to just do spoiler alert. Um, uh, the second episode, which is set in Scotland, mm-hmm. and it's basically like an episode about true crime. Mm-hmm. which I found really fascinating. Like, I really, really enjoyed the episode. And also, I'm someone that, if you if there's a true crime thing, the chances are I will watch it if it comes on and people say, oh, you should, so like murder on the staircase, or I think it was just called the staircase. Yeah, or yeah. Wild, wild country, or the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, or, or like any of these examples. Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, yeah. What was the original one where the guy had, it was kind of, the, the sort of um it was kind of like the american one where the, the the people were clearly not from the nicest background and they had a huge plot of land where there was loads of cars and this woman gets killed oh. and and there's the really famous lawyer that came in to try and get him out of prison and he was there with his cousin oh, i yeah. love the fact that i'm explaining this and that pretty much everyone will be screaming like this listening will be screaming it's obviously blah 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 um, no i know what you mean well i mean but, but sure, i think the the big thing re- i mean true crime has always been a thing right it has always it, it's funny that people are kind of there is a sort of I don't want to say moral panic because that's probably unfair. I think people mm, have some mm. sort of fairly founded reasons in their criticisms of it. Um, but it's it's always been a thing, right? And people are, I think one of the things that I object to is people treat it as in like it's a, it's a modern phenomenon. It's not. Like people have always watched this shit. Like even 999 back in the day, you know? Like oh it my was, God, 999. wasn't purely true crime, but what, what, we still had Crime was, Watch. What was the name, right, what was the the name of the thing? What, it was Michael 999. Burke. It was nine nine nine. Then it had a it had a colon, and it was something something something. What was it? I, was, I only ever remember it becoming nine nine nine. What what a series that was though. Da, da, da. Nine nine nine. Mate, what's your to, emergency? It used to it used to scare me. No no no. Just on the BBC, it's just nine nine nine, mate. Oh okay. Maybe I maybe I've like completely sort of like maybe that. But maybe that was like a latter one or something. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah, well, you know and it I mean? was Michael Burke. Michael and, Burke, yeah. And and they used to do the reenactments and they were always really haunting. Well, they were, but the, it's the theme tune, mate. It was well scary. <laughs> okay, I, ju- I need to get the theme tune out. I'm going to try and, like, get it get it out so that I can actually... Oh, my God. It was... It, Are you listening it, to it? Yeah, I mean, that is horrible. It's really sinister. It's almost like Demon Headmaster territory. Horrible. Do you remember the Demon Headmaster as well? Terence Hardyman, man, used to scare the, away. scare the life out of me. And it was really strange seeing he, seeing the news that he'd passed away. Like, I was like, oh, that's sad. But there was also a part of me, I was like, yeah, <laughs> off you pop, stay away, you demon. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, couldn't help it. There's like this part of me as a child that was like, get that bugger out of here. <laughs> sort of really, because even like, you're seeing people share like really nice photos of him. I was like, I don't trust that. I do not trust that at all. Uh, like, sorry, yeah, I completely... gentleman. Sorry, I, I, you were making a really good point and I ruined it, but basically you were saying that this is not a new phenomena. This is something that, like even nine 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 etc. Yeah, and but I, I was thinking one of the big things that really kickstarted it was that podcast serial. Mm, amazing, amazing. Male chimp and all that. You know, everyone remembering all those adverts and stuff. And yeah. he, uh, Adnan, he he recently got out, didn't he? He did. Yeah, and I saw that. But and I really is it Sarah Koenig does serial. I think so, yeah. And I love her delivery and her style. And I think this is one of the things about podcasts that that jumps out at me, right, is that when you love a podcast and when you really get into a podcast, it's part of the reason why I kind of I enjoy making them so much as well, is that you find you sort of get into a flow with the person that you're listening to. Mm. Um, and so when she sort of moved away from serial and said oh, like, here's a new series coming up, but I'm not in it, but trust me, it's really good. I was like, I'm sure it is, but I won't be listening. <laughs> and I immediately switched off. And yeah. then I kind of did go back. To be fair, I did go back to Serial and, and gave it a go eventually. But as soon as that person that you've got the affinity with sort of steps back, you're like, no, thank you, I'm out. Yeah. And it was, yeah. uh, it was Making a Murderer hmm. was the that, TV that's the series. Big one. Yeah, that yeah. is the big one. And oh, was, do you know what? I never watched it. No way. See, no, the thing is, right, is, I think you would actually really like it a lot, but I think it probably got so big at the time that you're quite like me, that if people like, oh, you have to watch Making a Murder, I'd be like, bollocks, do I? I'll watch what yeah, I want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it definitely. I, know you mean. I think on that one in particular, though, I think it was just around a time when we were really, I, I want to say it came out like when the World Cup was on or something, and I was yeah, on that possibly. bloody <laughs> boat. <laughs> Sponsored by uh, somebody <laughs> who I'm not even going to give a free free yeah, shout out to. Not going to give them not the time um, of day to God. What no, an era! Definitely what not. an era! Uh, well. um, mate, before we go on cinema, how sorry we were going to we were going to do um, that episode of that mirror. So what yes, did you, you take from that about? episode? Like, because I was trying to work out. I was like, there's definitely some depth to this, right? So, it, a spoiler alert: if you haven't seen it, skip this bit. But basically, it's a, it's the story of a guy that goes to try and essentially make a documentary up in Scotland. Wildlife whilst he's up in yeah, whilst he's up in Scotland, he comes across some old archive that kind of in, encourage him, encourages him, or excites him and his partner to tell the story of a of a essentially it's a it is murders plural but also kidnap i think is probably the key part right a young couple's mm. kidnapped and over the course of the episode it turns out that there was more going on than it seemed like at the time 30 40 years ago when it happened and the son who is or the the, the lead character starts to discover that his own family were involved and i was trying to work out where Charlie Brooker was going with that what the point was that he was trying to make do you know what I mean I, ju I mean I, I just kind of felt that he was just trying to make the point that there's real people behind all of those yeah. stories yeah. you know that, yeah. that was kind of the thing and I, I don't feel like he was being overly critical of it I think he was just making the point Mirror. that 
there are real people behind well, exactly that there are real people behind these stories that there's a real world impact of these of these things um but yeah it was it was i, I quite like that episode but i, yeah. I really like yeah. um british rural chiller yes. thriller things it's yeah. the thing i really particularly love there's quite a few films down that niche some old some new um that i i really really like to reel a few off the top something like the devil rides out an old horror uh hammer horror movie newer example uh wicker man as well the old wicker oh, man movie oh, great example the wicker man man yeah. i like the nicholas cage one was genuinely oh, sorry. abysmal but yeah. the first one I remember 50th getting that anniversary, out. I think, this year as well of that. Can I give you a proper Niki reference? So, like, one of my first Please. ever jobs was in um, was in St Albans Library. I was going to say, uh, it's not, it wasn't on Summerzar, was it? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me and Britt Eklund just prancing yeah. about. Yeah. Um, no, I, my, one of my first ever jobs in St Albans Library, because it used to pay, like the pay was obscene. So most people were working in kind of like cafes, sort of bars or it, like retail or whatever. And you'd earn like minimum wage. And for some reason, there was like this glitch in the system and you earned like 13 quid an hour. So, which for like so a sixteen-year-old, yeah. you were absolutely laughing. And one of the perks of it was is that I got to work on the kind of like the 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 DVD section. So we would order in the new Blu-rays for films that were about to come out, and we got them at the same time as Blockbuster or Video Rental, which used to come out before you could buy them. Do you remember? So they'd come. Mm-hmm. Out, there'd be a limited rental release before then a release more broadly so i'd be able to like grab hold of the dvds as soon as they came in and take them home and watch them but i also then we had this huge archive of old films so i used to and, and the wicker man was one of the first ones that i ever borrowed oh. and it was stuck with me it was horrible christopher yeah. lee man what an incredible actor and just the masks you know that poke over the poke over the wall when he first kind yeah. of goes into that cottage and yeah, the procession creepy. The the procession is really scary, I think, because he's kind of all part of it, but they know he's part of it. It's quite Mm. similar to Eyes Wide Shut as well. Yeah. Oh, God, what a film. What a film. Love it. Anyway, Um, you've been to the cinema this week, haven't you? I've been twice. Yeah, so... uh, Do do it chronologically for me. All right, so to to touch on one of them, talking about, like, producer Purdy seeing as some sort of of out-of-touch relic, a pretty pertinent film on that front was... No hard feelings that you recommended last week, and I did as you as you instructed. Watch it on a Friday night. Had a bit. Had a bit of. Had a bit of red wine. Oh, okay. What cinema did you go to? Uh, to Odeon. <laughs> 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 where Where else would I go? You know. Excellent. Yeah. What's your What's your? Actually, no, we can't say you're like loaded just in case you get some like crazy person come down who's like yeah, yeah. you've you've insulted a film once and they're maybe absolutely obsessed. It'd be, it'd be with more that from the football down. side of things. Let's be honest. But, yeah, um, yeah. Very good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you went to Odeon and you, a little bit of red wine. And how did you get on with the film? I uh, I absolutely loved it, mate. I really enjoyed it. I thought yes. it, like you were saying, I think it was it was definitely aimed at kind of millennials. I think mm. there's probably mm. some humour there that maybe Gen Z could pick up on. But it, I thought it was pretty. Uh, I thought it was pretty vicious towards sort of Gen Z. It sort of pictured them mostly as like scary little phone zombies that 
you know, out to get you at every turn. But <laughs> I think part of that is playing on this, like the millennial fear of no longer being relevant. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think in what is a, you know, a kind of silly comedy, um, which wasn't really, I mean, it's, it's marketed as like a gross out comedy. It's not really, do you know what I mean? Like there's a few little moments yeah. in there. Um, but I thought in a, in a film that's kind of a, you know, like you say, a, a, a pretty easygoing popcorn film, there's some good, decent themes in there about kind of class, about gentrification, about, you know, people growing older, like uh, us as millennials suddenly realising, wow, you know, I sort of have this responsibility that I wasn't prepared for. You know, it, it's, yeah. I don't know, there was a yeah. lot in there. And I, I actually found it a pretty heartfelt, decent film, some good laughs in there. Like you say, Jennifer Lawrence just goes with it. Like she's been on the promo drive hard. She did produce it as well, which I, I wasn't yes, aware of. Yeah. Um, so she's obviously got a, a, a vested interest in kind of really promoing the movie. But it is, it's just good at the moment. I think there's a certain, there's just a, a bit of a buzz back about it at the cinema at the moment. I don't want to gun like the superhero movies too hard and stuff, but it has felt that for the past sort of five years or so, cinemas have been utterly dominated by superhero movies, yeah, right? they have. They have. And suddenly we're starting to see a few films like this creeping back in. We've got, we've got like Barbenheimer coming up, right? Which is going to be like, <laughs> it, this feels like one of the biggest cinematic events in years, right? Like, yeah, but, since but, probably Avengers Endgame, you know, like it, good films, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like and serious films. Tom Cruise's movie, you know, the latest Mission Impossible coming up, like they're always good fun. I mean, he's such a champ. Whatever, I get he's a, he's a pretty strange guy or whatever off camera, but he's a true champion of the cinema of the the movie experience and i yeah you know i, I I've, I've got a lot of time for him on that front um and i just i think he's a he's a real movie star as well tom cruise right top gun the latest one was this is brilliant you know it was great i was he, he commits it. doesn't he in a big way he's a, he he's does man he unbelievably does unbelievably committed yeah. But unfortunately, he commits to lots of other things as well. Yeah, which, that's also true. Uh, kind of, Less yeah, about kind that, of the better. Um, yeah, do you know? Yeah. Do you know what? I, I've kind of gone I, after you said you'd gone to watch it. I kind of picked. I went back and watched a, a few of the clips again. Oh yeah. Um, because I wanted to just make sure I hadn't just kind of gone a bit over the top on it. But I watched two in particular. One is when he's sort of doing the cover of Man Eater, and she's sort of sitting there. And right. the more that I watched it, I was like, "You, it's so impressive, man. I know this, it's just called acting and you shouldn't be shocked, but this kid's just singing the song and the words obviously are quite sort of directed at her very deliberately within the film. But the fact that she's able to kind of portray this kind of like slowly getting deeper and deeper into the understanding that she is quite a, she's been quite an ugly character and she's yeah. really starting to understand that she, I, I think in that moment, just through her eyes and the fact that you start to see her almost doing that weird thing that you do when you choke up without crying and like you, you mm. sort of go, oh, wow, this is hitting me really hard. It's really aligned to what you said about the understanding of age. Her yeah. starting to realize that she's like, right. she's, she's old and like she's not 
old. She's older. She's not a child anymore. And behaving like this is just in the way that she is, is just really, really not okay. Um, but also that your actions have consequences. And, and that is a, a much more kind of mature thought to have. Mm. And I think it's all the more powerful being Jennifer Lawrence, because for you and I, Jennifer Lawrence is someone that we would have aligned with the young up and comer in yeah. her, the prime of her acting career as a young actress, right? And she's starting to drift, like n rightly or wrongly, but she's starting to drift into the next phase of her career yep. where she's no longer going to be the 21-year-old who is the, the Zendaya or whatever, or Zendaya, however you say it, is the new kid on the block, you know? And it there is, a, I think it's quite cool that she's... The window's so brief though, isn't it? And I think you only realise that as you get to like the age that we're at now when you're suddenly like, oh, wow, okay. 10 years, that's all you get. Then. Cool. Literally 19 she's, to 29. She's properly brilliant though. Like you say, like in terms of like, this movie is not, you know, it's it's not going to be a vessel for her to show her best, but she, you know, she, it's, it's like we talk about De Niro in Meet the Parents, you know, you still see his brilliance come through. I, I you know, I'd classify her in, in that same sort of bracket. I think she's, she's one of the, she's one of the goats in my opinion. I think she will continue to, 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 to be seen as that the older she gets um, and the further into her career she gets. And you I'm just excited seeing, to see what she does. Yeah, of. and seeing her on the promo drive for it as well, seeing her on the various different things. Yeah, she's been on Hot Ones, which was great. She's done Chicken Shop Date. Um, she just comes across as like just a bit of a legend, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like, she sort of talks about her, talks about her husband, doesn't she, in, in a couple of those and... I don't know. She just comes at, like uh, uh, people always take the piss out of her because they do this impression where they're saying, like, <laughs> look how normal I am. And but I think she genuinely does come across be it an act or not. I don't think it is. But she comes across like a very, very um, down to earth person that's quite self-depreciating, yeah. which I really like. Yeah, big time. Um, I, yeah, huge fan. I think she's great. Um and it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a good movie. Really, Take, really enjoyable movie. Okay, mate. Now the big one. What did you do after you <laughs> done No Hard Feelings? What was your big film of the weekend? So Sunday evening, I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Okay. Um, now I'm holding my breath and I am nervous, but tell us what oh, you thought. Oh, I, I want to say up front, like the... Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and The Last Crusade, growing up, were, like we've spoken about with other films, like the Star Wars movies and everything, they were on every Christmas. They were the movies that I had. I didn't have them on the VHS. I had them taped off the TV, kind of. And you had to fast movies. forward through the ads. Yeah, yeah. And I watched them constantly. Like, the, the Indiana Jones trilogy were... If I'm, if I'm... Do you know what? Here's a big one, mate. And I'm not saying it's better or not. I'm just saying my enjoyment. I probably liked Indiana Jones more than I did Star Wars. No, not probably. I definitely did as wow. a kid. Like I loved Indiana Jones. I loved like the lore of it. I really liked Harrison Ford. I, you know, I, I just, I found them exciting, like just old school type adventures. Right. Um, Crystal Skull came along a few years ago and... I thought was appalling. 
Like I, I will, I have. The thing is, I've genuinely, I've rebought all of the old Indiana Jones movies individually on Blu-rays, and it's cost me more because I don't want the full box set that's got Crystal Skull in. I don't want it on my shelf. I don't want it. To, I, I don't I want rate to that. acknowledge really its existence, mate. I think it was off. You know, so Shia LaBeouf got kicked from the Indiana Jones franchise because he said, like in retrospect, really, I think. Um, Lucas wasn't paying enough respect to his own property on Crystal Skull. And Sheila Buff was like the star of Crystal Skull, right? And uh, George Lucas's retort to that was that Sheila Buff is a fucking idiot <laughs> and <laughs> since off-screen killed his, cam- his character off. Um, but, so what, what, what I'm meaning to say really is I went into Dial of Destiny with a sense of, well, with zero expectation, I was. I saw the trailer, and I thought it looked crap. Really, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think much of it. I thought this is going to be more Crystal Skull type shit, really. But Harrison Ford's such a fucking icon. He's in his eighties now. Like he's not going to be around for much longer, God. let alone making any more Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Got to appreciate him. He is so openly disdainful of Star Wars and Han Solo and always has been, but absolutely adores Indiana Jones and his time being Indiana Jones. Has he shared why one is such a positive thing and why one is such a negative? I don't think, I don't think Harrison Ford would do that, right? I think he just, Harrison yeah. Ford is, what is, have you, have you ever seen, um, there's, there's such a brilliant one when he's, he's at a Comic-Con or something like that. And it's around the time that the solo movie has come out. Obviously, he wasn't in Solo. You know, it's about the young, the young yeah. and Solo. Was that you right, that film? Uh, I do, oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the the guy, the guy doing the um, the compare, should we say, who's kind of doing the intro, yes. yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about the movie, the blah blah blah, the history of Star Wars, the history of the character and Solo. It's like, we're talking like two, three minutes of talking about like. Solo and Han Solo and the character, and here we are joined today <laughs> by the original Han Solo, Mr. Harrison Ford. And I've just got to ask you out front, Harrison. I mean, you must be pretty excited to see this solo story brought to life in a different way. Are, are, are you pretty excited? And he just goes, "No, not really." Just <laughs> <laughs> so straight up, and it's completely like. Knocks <laughs> it completely like <laughs> knocks the like the, 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 the momentum be, about this thing. Imagine yeah. being that guy. You've done the full spiel, yeah. done the full spiel, and yeah. thought, "I'll just start with a nice easy but one." Mate, George Lucas is standing next to him as well. You know, like, it's Harrison Ford. It. You feel like he's not even saying it to like really be a dick he's just like I'm not going to lie about it it's do you know what I mean said about like, De Niro though you know when they get to the, that age in their career where it's like I've done everything I don't need I don't need to kind of like give you anything that I don't mean anymore here have some of that you know it's amazing yeah it, it's just uh, also I'm that just one you find... shared with me this week where the, like the reporter does like this huge huge section in French trying to clearly feels incredibly strongly about Indiana Jones and tries to go in some deep line of questioning to him. Speaks for two minutes and he just goes, sorry, I don't speak Spanish. 
<laughs> he's so good, man. Oh, man. Like, but he's anyway, so, good. so you, so, like, so I mean, you grew up with it, and, and this is another one. Like for me, same thing. All yeah. three films on the VHS shelf, like special place in my heart. The, yeah. the 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 kind of holy grails. The scene where he sort of chooses the the carpenter's cup for me is like poorly. <laughs> unbelievably good so yeah where do we land in this one and how do you feel so i uh yeah zero expectations went into this watched so as they always do in indiana jones movie you've got the opening section which is sort of like its own 15 minute miniature story right that kind of sets the tone sets the pace of the whole movie if you think about say Temple of Doom, for example, it's him getting the golden idol, the big ball chasing after him, that type of thing, right? Um, and in this, you've got a de-aged Harrison Ford, and I would say the technology is coming along unbelievably, like unbelievably. How you did can you still, feel about it on this one? Like, I mean, you can, you can still tell, but it's, yeah, it's getting a lot better, and it, it's, okay. it's good. It's not distracting, I didn't think. Um, and so you're watching this, which is a, a small vignette of a young Indiana Jones raiding a Nazi castle right at the very end of World War II when victory has been declared and the Nazis are clearing off and the Brits are coming in to, like, you know, replace the flags and all that and let the Nazis know that they've been defeated. Um, but the Nazis are trying their best to just sneak out all of the old artefacts. So, like, the Spear of Destiny, the spear that famously killed Jesus Christ on the cross. Um and various other artifacts and Harrison Ford has come in there to, to, to get that. Well, Indiana Jones has come in to get that spear. Um, and what, what unfolds is him falling out with this kind of Nazi archeologist who's played by Mads Mikkelsen. Um, and it turns out that Mads Mikkelsen's character actually has something called the dial of destiny, which is supposedly this old artifact created by Archimedes himself which is a way of a rudimentary tool, or so they think at the time, for predicting weather patterns for that type of thing. Um, and we see this story unfold and escaping on a train and all this type of thing. And I would say it was from that moment when I was like, okay, I think I'm in. Like, yes, I actually, I love that I th feeling. I, I think I'm in, you know, because I was kind of like, I don't really know where this is going to go, but it's got the old Indiana Jones kind of thing to it, the pacing. Okay. You've got the baddie, you've got Mads Mikkelsen, who is a spectacular baddie. We've sort of spoken about him before. We've got the kind of, you know, him beating up Nazis, telling a few sort of funny one-liners about them and all that type of thing. Uh, there's one in particular when a Nazi says to him, like, you should have stayed out of the castle. He says, you should have stayed out of Poland. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's just, this. you know, you've got these kind of, these good little moments. And so anyway, like I say, this is sort of this 15 minute film within the film ends. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And I would say from that point on, I watched the film with a similar kind of childlike sense of just don't be cynical about this. This is, Harrison Ford's last time as Indiana Jones and they set the scene so well it's now the late 1960s early 1970s Indiana Jones is an old man in the film now he's an old man throughout the movie he's waking up in a now what resembles an almost modern day New York City and 
you're kind of like, wow, this is kind of weird. This is the fish out of water effect. But it's still Harrison Ford. He's still Indiana Jones. He's still got the little things. And just the way the story unfolds, it was completely in the spirit of one of the original trilogy. And look, I'm, I'm not going to kind of like, I don't want to hype it up too much because like I say, I think it's partly my lessened expectations that led to my right. feelings of surprise and enjoyment as I watched it. But I wouldn't say it's completely down to that. So I do feel comfortable in saying that I thought it was really good. If we're comparing it to the original trilogy, it's the weakest of all of them, but it belongs alongside them, yeah. not alongside Crystal Skull. And it's good fun. And I honestly, mate, there were moments when you hear, like we were talking about with the Bond theme in Casino Royale, when you actually hear like the Indiana Jones music kicking and things, you get the same goosebumps. You got the same sense of excitement. And I left the cinema with a massive smile on my face and thought, that was fucking brilliant. What a way to say goodbye to it. What a way to say goodbye to him. Looks like everyone had fun. And it looks like they weren't trying too hard to reinvent the wheel. They were just saying, what made Indiana Jones movies good? Let's do that again. And that's what they've done. And I thought it was great. I would recommend... Just go and watch it. I thought it was... Uh, I really liked it, mate. I really enjoyed it. And again, I'd be interested to see... So sure. If a younger person coming to that who hasn't grown up with Indiana Jones maybe will feel differently. But I would say on a Sunday evening showing, um, my local cinema isn't usually packed out. It was, I would say, the screen was two-thirds full. um, And everybody seemed to be enjoying it people were like laughing along they were gasping they were all the things that you expect in a movie like that it it, it was good it, it was it, i really enjoyed it i really liked the, it and i was so pleasantly surprised i love that you had that moment of you know that it is the moment where you just sit back into your chair and go okay i'm going to be able to commit to this yeah you know that's lovely that's yeah. what those i mean i remember mark commode saying that about blade runner after the opening exchanges in blade runner where you ha- you, the 2049 Blade Runner where yeah. you go oh, Batista. Okay. they're not going to mess this up you yeah. know and that's that's a really really lovely thing and yeah. I mean we spoke about it on the pod last week but there's been so many examples where it's gone the other way that oh, when yeah. you get one where you go oh okay they've done it right it is it is just a lovely feeling of relief. Yeah. that's next on the uh, on the hit list for me mate I'll go and uh, I'll go and give that a blast and I better squeeze it in quickly because we've got some biggies coming up haven't we oh mate it's a bit it's a big should we, should we just get hang on let's just get it up said the actress to the bishop um <laughs> July cinema releases 2023 because there's some big movies coming out man there's some Yo. big movies coming out. So we've got, well, this Friday, I mean, you know, whether it's your kind of bag or not, you've got Insidious, The Red Door, which is coming out. Very popular, you know, horror movie franchise. Yeah. So you've got that coming up. You've got Joyride as well coming up, which actually looks really, really funny. It's, um, it's an Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen produced uh, film okay. about sort of four Asian-American women going to China to sort of, touch base with their heritage, I guess, and and hilarity ensues. Um, what else do we have coming up? Okay, so we've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning coming up on the 12th. That's like the first big one, right? That's going to be, yeah. that's gonna be a, a big sort of movie event. Um, then we have coming up, what's that? The YouTube effect. No idea. Yeah, um, and then there's a Maggie Smith film coming out as well. Then a film 
Oh, I mean, really, your eyes just get drawn, don't they? 21st of wow. July. Oppenheimer and Barbie, man. Like, that is, just... I mean, that is enormous same day. I mean, that is... You, you don't. I mean, we'll we'll do those. When Are we you going to do it? Are you going to? I think I think you got to do the double bill, mate. Yeah, I think, I think I will. I think I will. Um, it just it feels not, like an event. Like I say, this really yeah. that Barbenheimer. You know, if not, um, if not the uh, if not the double bill, I'll do it Friday, Saturday, back to back. Because that would just be so special. I mean, unbelievable. Anyway, we've been talking for ages. We should get into this week's film, shouldn't we? Let's get into this week's film. Yeah, let's. Do you want to go, go on, mate? You you chose this week's film. It's the it's the title of the podcast. So everyone knows what it is. But indulges anyway. Go on. So snatch. Um, I chose, and it's it's going to be. There's a discussion point that I want to get onto today. But someone said this week in a video that I that I sort of was watching that he was doing an analysis on it. Is this one of the most rewatchable films of all time? And it's only when I heard that out loud, I was like, that's why I chose it. You know, I chose it because it's got so many of the gags in there that you just fall back into. It's got so many of the lines that you know are coming, but still floor you anyway, because they're so funny. It's got so much great action in there. And also I remember watching this, so I didn't watch this until I was maybe 21. Okay. And it was a film that me and my mates at uni used to, people used to be like, oh, should we watch Snatch or should we watch Lockstock? You know, it was very kind of of that time, everyone really enjoying the kind of the kind of silliness, but also the action within it and the humour. It was such an easy watch. So I was I was really I mean, also, there's some great characters in this as well. Did you enjoy watching it back, mate? I did. Yeah. 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 It's it, it, it's sort of uh, it's, it's an interesting one because I, I I don't watching it again. I don't think it's like crazy profound. But I definitely felt like it's got all of the elements you need in order to see a film again and enjoy it again. Mm. You know, it's got so much of that in there that you're like, oh, that's that's just that's a lovely watch. And I remembered why I loved watching it. Mm. Um, because we've because we've gone so long in terms of talking and all the other stuff. Do you want to spoil the film and then we'll uh, we'll get right into Go it? On him. Go on him. Right. Ready? Oh. Three, two, one. Bink. Okay, so Snatch follows Turkish, a sort of low-rent boxing promoter, and his best mate, Tommy, who often tends to get him in trouble, as he says. Um, They get involved with a notorious East End gangster who goes by the name of Bricktop. Bricktop (laughs) wants them to fix a boxing match. They have their own boxer, Gorgeous George, who unfortunately ends up getting knocked Sparko by a traveller as they go to go and buy themselves a new caravan to act as an office for their operation. They come up with the ingenious idea of actually using the traveller, who is Mickey O'Neill, played by Brad Pitt, to take on the boxing fight in place of Gorgeous George. Now, Bricktop demands that Mickey takes a fall in the fourth round. They want to fix the fight, but you're not going to tell Mickey what to do and he ends up knocking out the other fighter, which causes a bit of a problem for Turkish and the other lads. Alongside this, all alongside this, you have another unfolding... Is that it? Yeah, that was it, mate. Wow. 
You like you to didn't, be honest. You didn't even give me my thirty seconds. I'm I, fuming, I wanted mate. to say, I'm just <laughs> sabotage this. Sabotage this. I want to recount. That, that is cheating. That. that is cheating. I should really have given you the it's, countdown. No, for, I wanted to see if so you could. Hard. Yeah, I wanted to see if you could collapse the film down. Like I wanted to see, like just sort of where you'd go with it. Because one of the things straight away that you that, that jumps out at you is this. There is so much in this in terms of the character there are so many characters which is actually a bit of yep. a triumph really for the film that it manages to kind of drag the story together yeah i mean it, it's there is a lot going on and i think like now i do wonder it, it's interesting to me because you do have i would say the two main threads are the destination of the diamond and of turkish and tommy right those, those are mm. the two main threads of the story and the funny thing is really the diamond and Tommy and Turkish don't really <laughs> until the very end, right? Spoiler alert. That's the bit we're supposed to be doing. They don't really have any relevance to one another whatsoever throughout the movie. And that's one of the things I think that stood out for me as I was watching this back. Like it is, it's almost like he's had two ideas for two movies and thought, you know what, actually I can Tarantino this a bit and kind of, mishmash this all up a bit do you know what i'm saying yeah am i, yeah, yeah. Am I wildly no, off on one no here? no no I, I, and I, so i saw this thing that he said um that, that essentially he had a load of stuff left over from Lockstock that he felt was good enough to make a film but he, what he didn't want to do was go into this. He said, I didn't want to go and make lock, stock and three smoking barrels, <laughs> um, which I thought was quite a nice line. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 he had these kind of ideas there, but he also had these this focus on subculture. Yeah. And it's quite funny that you mentioned 999 at the beginning of the pod, actually. But basically, he took a load of these scenes from criminal reconstructions or cctv <laughs> yeah and like so you know the scene where the, the three uh guys get locked or the two guys get locked in almost like the the kind of airlock in between the bookies and the outside yeah yeah and and um tyrone comes and opens the door um and lets them out again that was actually taken directly from a cctv piece of footage from a a crime show on TV. Wow. And and so he'd built out this um idea of these subcultures. So he he basically had the the he wanted to tell the story of the kind of criminal underworld but also wanted to shine a light on these subcultures within that that very rarely actually get their lexicon and their opportunity to kind of show the culture that kind of gives rise to and also is the foundation behind the kind of the the sharp end of the crime yeah. you know so you're, you're absolutely right i mean it, it is very much it's, it's very similar to when we did the conversation about pulp fiction and that you have these intertwining stories really that actually are that they're, they're just moving the characters along because turkish is is not really interested in the diamond at all it really his only thing is again it's just kind of like oh god i don't want to be in debt to bricktop yeah. and then once he gets in debt to bricktop it's like how am i going to make out how am i going to get out of this alive because i know i'm in trouble um and jason's like i mean I, uh, jason statham i actually really enjoyed in this i think like his character has got far more kind of 
punch to it than I ever gave it credit for at the time. I always sort of thought it was like, oh, it's Jason Statham just having a bit of a laugh as a geezer. But actually, it's quite, yeah. a, quite like, there's quite a bit of nuance in this that I really liked. I really, I think, I think he's decent, man. I like Jason Statham. Like he, he, he tends to get kind of like pilloried by, I think Kermode in particular sort of likes to take the piss out of him quite a bit and Is stuff. Is it because of like the Meg and stuff? Was he in the Meg? Yeah, yeah. And when you uh, do those ones, you easily sort of fall into that, don't you? And we're going to say, I'm not firing any shots at the big dog, but I do think Marky Boy can fall into a bit of classism every now and again. Just saying. I, I think with these, with these type of criticisms. But um, uh, yeah, I think Statham's great in this. And uh, I, I, I want to ask you, mate, I'll, let's, let's get this one out up front because I think Stephen Graham, right, is a borderline national treasure now. I think he's absolutely brilliant in everything that he does. Other than this, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I've got to say, watching this back, like, I, like his, I, I, I get it. It's probably he's hard. A it's probably, treasure, but yeah. this was shy. <laughs> but, I mean, he is. He's like got a very strong scouse. Is scouse yeah. is that offensive? Yeah, yeah. Can is, we it, say li- is it offensive to say scouse? But Liverpudlian accent, right? Yeah, I th- a very I strong like... Liverpudlian accent. And him doing like London Cockney geezer, right? It, it 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 just didn't really work, did it? Like in this. So I didn't mind it. I actually didn't mind it at all. Did you not? Uh, no, I thought it was okay. And I, I he thought, gets a grand pass. It, it, I, that is what it is. I, that is such. That's yeah. it on the notes because I'm like, if I heard, actually let me break go one further on this. If it was an American doing that accent. I'd have been like, that is outrageous. Get out. Yeah. But because it's him, I think I just about, just about can kind of give him a nod for it. Because it's and one, it, of the, one of the king's finest, right? One of the good exactly. old Brexit boys, right? Exactly. And also, so he wasn't even supposed to be in the film. Like this is this is an amazing thing that I've, that I've found out this week. He wasn't supposed to be in the film. He was in a taxi with a mate who was on his way down to audition for the film. And his mate goes in and does the audition. And then Guy Ritchie goes out into the kind of like, you know, I don't know how much you would have seen this before, but actually I'm sure you would have done. You know, when people are auditioning, they literally are almost, sometimes they're just in hotels. So you'll have a load of people. It's like a scene in Friends where Joey goes for that audition. There's a bunch of guys who look exactly like him all sat around in a in a lobby. Yeah. Very similar sort of vibe. And Guy Ritchie just popped his head out and he had done a short film with him before, like years before. And... Um, and apparently he was out in the lobby taking the piss out of everyone, doing impressions of people's accents. And he was like, oh, really? I'll have a bit of that. And dragged him in and made him kind of audition for the part and then gave him the part and booted his mate out of the film. Well, it's quite interesting. I'm just looking at Stephen Graham's like filmography up until that point. And really, really, until Snatch, he was, you know, a jobbing TV yeah. actor. Episodes of The Bill... Where the heart is, the lakes, that heartbeat. Do you know what I mean? Like he was in all these kind of like British TV stalwarts. Yeah. But he was definitely jobbing. And then suddenly, bang, he got a snatch and it explodes from there, right? Yeah. And, and the thing was in snatch is that he wasn't actually, he was in um, 
So the Stephen Graham that we see in, in, in Line of Duty, right, which is one of the things... He was he was Line of Duty, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, where, where he is very kind of gruff, very edgy hmm. kind of... He's playing an undercover police officer who you don't know if he's turned um, into organised crime. Like, he, he's such a sort of like grisly sort of guy in that. He's actually very soft in this. And like you get a brick top, sir, put a leash on it, Turkish. Um, yeah. When he's talking about his, his character. Um, and you sort of think with him, it's like, how has he managed? I mean, it's quite impressive, really, because he, he was actually actually quite soft in this and quite soppy as that one line was like, go on, you want to see if I've got the minerals? Um, but that's pretty much the only time you ever see him actually not be a bit wet. Well, it's funny because you see him as like then combo a few years later in This Is England where he is yeah. Yeah, fucking yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, so horrible. So, what yeah, is his kind of progression? Point. What was it like? What has he got on his IMDb? Where, where does it go? So after... Let's have a look. I just went away from it. So after Snatch, he went on to do... Bear with me. I mean, he's got some huge ones on here now. Like, he really, really exploded after that. Um, he was in... Uh, he look. did The Irishman, of course, didn't he? Yeah, Gangs in New York. That was... And Band of Brothers, he appeared in Band of Brothers, only for a couple of episodes. But yeah, Gangs of New York's probably one of the next big ones he was in. Um, he was then in, say, a couple of like TV series. He was then in Goal. He played the character Des in Goal. Um, what, was the, what, was the, what, was, what was that character? I loved that film, man. I love that I'm, film. I'm not sure really who Des was. I'd, I'd assume remember. one of the other footballers, though, well, right? It, right. It, I, maybe he was one of the other footballers, yeah. Maybe he was like one of the sort of like nastier ones that were on their way out, perhaps. Um, but I know, I mean... Well, he would have still been pretty babyface then, though. You think about how babyface... Because it's only four years after Snatch goal. Right, okay. Um, um, oh, he did Hellboy... Line of Duty. Yeah, This Is England as well was obviously like a really big Huge. one for him. Um, which, yeah, horrible, horrible character in that. Like, yeah. they're so brilliant as well, so intense. Um, was Greyhound but, any good? I never watched I don't know. that. Never seen it. Never seen but it. The one that was the one that Purdy will be screaming at us for. Purdy loves Boiling Point. Oh, he dear, loved that great film. movie though. One take, one take. Yeah. It's like it's a play in a movie, but it's great movie, so intense. Um, he was in, I tell you, if you want one of those like bruise on the brain type movies, he was in a British film called Hyena in 2014, which is all about kind of crooked coppers um, getting involved with like Albanian drug gangs in London. And... That is a film with no joy whatsoever. But a good um, film nonetheless. Like, would you recommend? I can't in good faith recommend this film because it is horrible. It's a horrible, okay. horrible film. But no, do you know what? I've, yeah, just, done, I've just done that it thing that, that with Bo is Afraid. I'm now like, maybe I'll watch it. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like, please don't watch it. And I'm like, oh, I might watch it. <laughs> it, it, it. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie, but it's like, it's... It's fucking grim. It's so right. bleak. Um, right, okay. okay. So, yeah. But, uh, yes, yeah, so it's a well-made, it's a good movie, very well acted, um, as you'd imagine. So, yeah, but, I mean, so Stephen Graham, National Treasure, but, yeah, I, I, I did, I found it, 
I found it a little bit distracting. Um, yeah, it didn't in, do it for you. The sort of, it was a bit too. It was a bit too. Hello, governor. It's a bit Dick Van Dyke, you know. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Like, I, and I mean, I would I, when I first the first time I ever seen that I ever saw Dick Van Dyke's sort of. Uh, character I wasn't old enough to realise it was the most dreadful British yeah, accent of yeah, all time yeah, but now yeah. I look back at it I'm like jeez that who let him get away with that whilst he's got his full marching one man band thing going on down the road um, mate so this uh, when this one comes out right when when I mean I, I couldn't tell you sort of I'd ne- I didn't watch it at the cinema I wouldn't oh, have no, been no, chance, aware no. of it at, like I wouldn't have been aware of its cultural sort of um, I guess impact that it would have had but Guy Ritchie definitely had a a sweet spot didn't he he definitely had a period where he was kind of like the guy really the guy lol. but he was the man well yeah it's basically you know but it was lock stock and snatch and then Thus it ends, which is a bit of a Would you give him Sherlock Holmes? Would you give him that? It's a franchise movie, really, though, isn't it? It's not really a Guy Ritchie film, per se. Do you know? Like, Should we do a bit? Let's do a bit on Guy... No, let's do a bit on it now, because I think it's quite interesting that... Like, I I sort of gathered his sort of latter career as well, right? So he did The Man from Uncle, Aladdin, King Arthur, um, amongst a few others the Sherlock Holmes films as well but it's quite incredible really to to think if you if someone said oh, like who are Britain's finest directors I think you possibly like people would still include him in that because of Lock, Stock and Snatch mm. even though I've, he hasn't I've, I've got to say to be fair I enjoyed The Gentleman I thought that right, was okay. I, I, I thought that was fun um, probably in a similar way to like you know Dial of Destiny, as I was saying at the top, I would I would stick that alongside Snatch and Lockstock, but it's the worst of them kind of thing. Do you um, do you think it's because do you think it's because he had such a stylized look to what he did that it got old quite quickly? Almost in the maybe. same way we talk about Wes Anderson, right? When yeah. We're talking about the fact that people are sort of ri- ripping the piss out of it now. But maybe it got old quite quickly. Yeah, potentially. But you know, you've got. Did you see Bullet Train, the movie that no, came out a couple I of years ago? I mean, that was completely like aping Guy Ritchie. Like it was completely, yeah, yeah, completely yeah, yeah. borrowing from him. Bit of Tarantino, bit of Ritchie. You might argue that Ritchie probably borrowed a bit from Tarantino, but Tarantino borrowed from plenty of people himself. So. You know, I think they sort of all existed in a similar kind of yeah. melting pot. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, maybe he's he's doing it now as he's gotten older. And I think one of the things that's probably worth remembering, right? Richie is still making movies in Britain, right? This, this British film industry, there's less budget flying around. It's much harder to get movies green lit over here. So it's probably unfair to say his shit got old. Like the studios over here will That's probably true. like make more snatch and make more lock stock. That's the movies you're going to get. Because now you're seeing as he has gotten older, he is diversifying. You know, he, he is yeah. making a lot of different movies. I mean, I, I haven't seen it, but I understand that that King Arthur movie was okay that he, he, he worked oh, on. I hated it. I really? It okay. okay. And I, I interviewed him for that as well. Did you? Yeah. And he was, 
he was absolutely charming and lovely and we were both from same part of town i mean he grew up well he was born in the same hospital as me really so like he's i I kind of thought like oh i really want to like this film so when i interviewed him i interviewed him before we watched the film actually um and i really wanted to like it um and then got into the cinema there with bated breath and and um is it charlie hunnam who played king arthur and and i um i was kind of quite taken with him because he had such a bizarre accent you know, because he's, he's, Geordie, t- he's he? Geordie, yeah, but he's been sort of a bit international kid accent now. Um, and I sort of really wanted, I, I wanted to like it and it just, it completely, I mean, I, mean he, I think he even gave David Beckham a cameo in that and it was oh, a bit God. like, what, hang on, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I, I understand that the Covenant's better. quite good as well. I didn't realise he'd done that. Um, yeah, Covenant, and then Rock and Roller wasn't bad either. I thought Rock and Roller was okay. Like, I, I was, yeah, no, I, 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 I was couldn't stand that. I not really doing didn't it like that. Yeah, no, so like- Revolver, Revolver, I thought was tripe, honestly. I really thought it was bad. Like, not just like didn't follow up from Snatch. Like, I thought Revolver was fucking awful. Like, but really this, bad. But this was, maybe the thing with Snatch was that it was such a sweet spot. You know, one of the hardest yeah. things to do, like you said, on a low budget. So one of the hardest things to do is to do the transitional stuff well. So like, how do you get yourself from point A to point B? And Mm. even the start of the film, the way that it moves through the security cameras, I just thought that was such a clever device that actually meant the whole sequence was probably done on a shoestring. I mean, the whole Mm. budget for the film, I think was 7 million. Or, really? or something wow. like that, which is just nothing. Because no, even nothing. this, what, what what year is this? This is twenty. What is it? It's two two thousand one, I think, or is it right, okay, yeah. two thousand? So like seven million, even then, is nothing. You know, it's, it, to think that you managed to get Brad Pitt in the film and you I still know. managed to do it for seven million. It's like really, it's quite silly. But they, he manages to do these transitions so well that it almost becomes almost becomes like a character in the film. You know, it starts with the zoom into the diamond and then it zooms out and then um, Avi, is it Avi, is looking at it through the the kind of like the microscopy type thing and then it zooms in and zooms out and you meet all the characters and it's establishing these characters really quickly with these great transitions. That It does a lot of the hard work that often you'd probably have to spend an enormous amount of money doing going two sets and doing these big wide shots and big it's funny funnily enough it has a fairly comic book feel to it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it and i really like that Which, i don't know how did you feel yeah no i, I did really like it the, the the thing i was wondering is does that can a movie do that today do you think because it felt that the, the, the funny thing is like because these sort of like the early noughties are so characterized by things like Guy Ritchie movies, things like Tarantino movies, where you see a lot of this kind of fast-paced editing, witty dialogue, ultra-violence, and that kind of just a style that's so tied to it. And I would say your closest, like, contemporary to that now is Edgar Wright, maybe? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who's kind of taken the baton on from Guy Ritchie and is sort of making similar movies now um 
so maybe maybe there is a place for it. Maybe it's just about the way in which it's I, executed. But I think it would get acute. I think people would accuse it now of being cheap. Well, I that's think, what people said of Bullet Train. Bullet Train, right? Like, okay. I think okay. what, what actually, to be fair, I think audiences enjoyed Bullet Train, but a lot, the critical the critical sort of reception of Bullet Train was this belongs twenty years ago. You know what I mean? Because and, it's so narrow and prescriptive. Yeah, and I didn't disagree with that, but equally, I enjoyed Bullet. Bullet train. You know, this it's kind of one of these things where like two thoughts can coexist, right? You can look yeah, at this and yeah, say, yeah. Well, yeah, this this does feel like a bit of a relic. This does feel like a bit of a rehash of older stuff, but I'm kinda of here for it. It's all right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Yeah, and I think with this, what I, I definitely I know Purdy like this actually, but I always have enjoyed that time lapse rock and roll speed play with freeze frames, crash zooms, and fast mm. transitions. I actually really like that. I, I think that, that particularly, you know, the, the first time Cousin Abby's like, I'm coming to London, and it and then it sort of stamps with in the, the passport. The espresso, it back yeah. the espresso, yeah. And I really like that, you know, I'm, because let's face it, he's not going to be able to go and do a sequence of shoot on that budget. You're not going to be able to go and do a sequence of shooting at an airport and even get a hold of the, you, you have to pay. I don't think people probably realize like how much you'd have to pay to go and get a, shoot a sequence at an airport. How but much it's, that it's also cost. like a lot of this stuff is so superfluous, right? You, yeah. you find that sometimes you wonder if some writers or some filmmakers feel constrained by the, the actual journey, the physical journey itself. Right. But, when you have things like this that kind of just rip it up a bit as in like Avi was in America and now he's in Britain and you're just going to have to deal with that you yeah. know yeah, I, yeah. I kind of quite Here like <laughs> yeah. I like that effect and I, I, I know that I can under, I can imagine like why that does make some people uncomfortable some people like to feel the chronology of a movie somewhat right but it's not even like with this they weren't even saying like two weeks later or anything it's just literally like you say you've got three, four quick shots, then bang, he's in England and the story's progressing. You know, it's yeah. going on from there. He said he didn't want any fat in the film at all. And I mean, there is no fat in it whatsoever, no, is there? No. There's not There's not really a wasted shot anywhere. I can't think of a single time in the film where you go... I, the, the only time in the film where I think that the film allows you to pause for thought is when the caravan is on fire. And it really yeah, sort and that's of, probably quite intentional, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you see, like, I mean, Brad Pitt is it, it, he is fantastic in this, um, but the, the look of like just absolute pain on his face when the the caravan's burning down and his sort of his kind of like fellow travellers are, are holding him back from like trying to run in there and try and save his mum it's it suddenly lands a it lands a punch on you doesn't it you you go yeah. from laughing and being like ha 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 this is all very funny and silly and then suddenly it's like oof well, wow that's the, like, deep the, the the thing is we do keep talking about Brad Pitt I mean like it's it it, it is mad to see like a guy of because again like we've sort of spoken about Previously, when we talk about like Tarantino being the biggest director or whatever, would you say at this point Brad Pitt Peak is his powers. He's biggest movie star in the in the world, right? Yeah, and he requested to be in it. I mean, requested to Guy Ritchie. He said, "Look, I loved Lockstock. Have you got anything I can be in?" And they didn't have a part for him. They literally didn't have a part that they could give to Brad Pitt, so they had to rewrite the script 
to create a part that Brad Pitt could be. And which I think just, it, well, yeah, from on. what I understand, Richie had watched Fight Club and thought, actually, I fancy a bit more of that in here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he was writing the part, Guy, do you know that Guy Ritchie is like a, I think he's, he's like a, maybe black belt, jujitsu black belt? Yeah, but I've, I've heard him talking to Joe Rogan about it. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's, um, in real real life, I mean, he's actually very good looking. I swear on this podcast, I just go on about how good looking men are half the time. <laughs> <laughs> how like unbelievably stacked people are. But he was... When I when I sat down to interview him, I was really struck by the fact that he's so incredibly well put together. Like he was really sharply dressed, re- like and in really good nick. Um, but he sort of spoke about the fact that when he basically he'd come up with the idea of this character, and so when he was trying to write the dialogue, but I didn't realize this is another cool thing about him. I didn't know he was dyslexic. Really. So he says he writes for about three hours a day and he's dyslexic. So, I mean, the challenge of trying to do that, but then also trying to create a character on the fly without knowing what he is. So he said he was walking around shirtless in his flat, trying to get into the character of Mickey, trying to work out what he's been like, sort of like swinging air punches and shadow boxing while he was talking in this kind of like fumbled accent and dialect. Which I really, like, I mean, that's just such a cool thing that you can be so creative that you can literally just take your shirt off and wander about a bit and try and create a character that then yeah. becomes Mickey. And I mean, Brad Pitt is just, he's phenomenal for for it. And I originally used to think that, oh, maybe that he just absolutely hashed that accent, but it's it's meant to be, it's deliberately meant to be unintelligible. Like you're not supposed to be able to, like there was talk of whether they might put subtitles on screen. It's so, it's so sort of- really. All That's over the place, yeah, and uh, and and just now watching it back, a kind of it. I didn't. I don't know. Did you just think when you watched it, were you just like, "That's just a, a shoddy Irish accent," or he's deliberately trying to do something with the idea of traveller speak, maybe? Oh yeah, definitely the latter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it like it, I don't know. Just watching it again, I, I it it raised a lot of chuckles, and I know we we will have some challenges that we need to do in fine wine and war crime, but. I actually thought some of the sequences where he was sat in the caravans and they have the little private discussions and then like when they pass the picture frame along. And then the photo done, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, really fantastic. It is, yeah. Really, really well done. Um, and even from the start, man, I mean, they. I think the other thing is they said that he, they had very limited time with him. So they had to cram his stuff into super sharp sequences um and he just steals it doesn't he in some of those scenes where he's in it he's he just you like we were saying about jennifer Lawrence, you just can't take your eyes off him yeah. sort of, i don't know what that is but it's just mesmerizing isn't he he's very like he's he's just he's a movie star isn't he that's the mm. thing like he's just mm. he's got that he's got that screen presence um that is you know seeing him have the sort of career that he's had um He's just he he he's great. Um, I, uh, I I I guess Fight Club. There were some instances of him being a bit of a joker, but it was still always underpinned by him being pretty serious. Would you say this was his? I mean, I guess this is his first comedy role. Do you reckon? Yeah, but I. So I was I was thinking about this earlier on, and I mean, I feel like everything he does now has elements oh, of big time, com- yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. 
he sort of got that lovely tongue in cheek thing. Mm. Um, but this was probably the first time that it was a a character that was out and out just that he sort of just was making you laugh, you know. Um, but then it does do the juxtaposition thing really well, doesn't it? Then suddenly you're seeing him sort of in tears with his with his mum with his mum sort of inside the, the caravan, um, which is, I mean, that scene is just amazing. But the, the just the, the stuff that he sort of comes out with and the, the scene where the uh, the dogs are chasing the rabbit, he, he sort of manages to kind of draw you in, you know. And I think when you've got someone who's in that sort of flow state with their acting, I think for someone yeah. like Jason Statham, I imagine you've just got to, you've got to just try and just not ruin the scene. Do you know what I mean? What a tough thing to do when you're sitting there and you're the lead character and you're just seeing yeah. someone who's just smashing it and you're like, maybe I just got to roll with this. <laughs> like, let yeah, this yeah. guy, it's Brad Pitt, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I just let him do it, you know? And trust, I mean, some of the films he's been in, man, um, but, you know, five years prior to Snatchers since like seven, you know? Yeah. Like, huge movie, Sleepers. Um, Mate, his, his back catalogue, his back catalogue is, is really... Like I think he's up there in you put him in your DiCaprio, Tom Hanks kind of bracket of just comfortably far and away the sort of goat era goat actors, you know, like Moneyball. I thought was amazing. I, I that Moneyball's another one that I can just watch over and over great and movie, over yeah. and over and over. I've only um, watched it once, to be fair, but a great movie. Oh, I, I, I just I love that film. There's so many, so many little scenes in it. Ocean's Eleven, I thought was amazing. Um, you, you had um, Seven, like you said. Fight you Club. Had Fight Club, which was like Fight Club was. Again, it's another one that we'll have to do on here. A hundred percent. That just is even got... latterly. Have you, did you watch Ad Astra? One of the films he was in, like in the past I few didn't, years, I a kind didn't. of space was movie. It good? I really liked it, but I, I kind of like those, you know, slow paced space opera type things. Yeah, two thousand one, a space odyssey, sunshine. Those type what was things. the one it, that um, Sandra Bullock was in? Was it Gravity? Gravity. Yeah. Was that good? I, yeah, I really enjoyed that, especially the whole kind of 3D experience um, at the time as well. Because that's okay. it was one of those movies that was really made for like 3D. You know, it wasn't yeah. just, you know, how some of these, some of the movies I like see it in 3D and it's not really, you know, I can't be bothered. I don't want to wear yeah, the glasses yeah, yeah. for however Do long. I, and it annoys my eyes and I sort of yeah, get out exactly. and I'm like, get off. Um, another one that was great was The Big Short. I, I thought he was yeah. phenomenal in The Big Short and yeah. I love that film so much. I mean, that's another one actually. It's another film where you've got got three or four intertwining storylines that somehow managed once to kind upon of a time in hollywood you yeah. know like amazing uh, and glorious bastards how can we forget that as yeah, well he did fury you know? as well didn't he yeah. which i've really, never really seen good. fury i've always wanted Have to watch not? that, that is, no, it no. is really good it's, yeah. it's really really good i've film. always quite liked the look of it um but he just it, like i love that in this he gets he gets the dexterity and the space to kind of go from one to the other did you enjoy the fight scenes did you like? Did they still do something for you, or did you think they had got a bit sort of cheesy? Uh, maybe a little bit towards the 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 latter half of things, right, but okay. it is still it's a fun film. Like it's funny, so I don't I don't think that necessarily is a bad thing. 
there is a there is a nice moment where he does the whole one punch Mickey thing and then looks over <laughs> looks over and he was supposed to go down in the fourth round and he's one punched this guy and then he sort of looks up and just kind of goes what <laughs> it's yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. amazing yeah. considering yeah. Bricktop's done this whole kind yeah. of they don't know what nemesis means yeah. um I have a bone to pick with you um and I'm worried you're going to upset me. Why did you not enjoy Vinnie Jones in this film? Well, do you know what's very interesting? So what you told me at the very start of the film Go is that he had a load of material left over from Lockstock. Ah, uh, okay. It now completely makes sense to me that Vinnie Jones is in the film as Bullet Tooth Tony because he is literally... What's his, na- what's his character's name in, in Lockstock? Neil or Dave or something, is it? <laughs> and he's got then he's got this son, little... Little Big Chris is that Chris? Big Chris and little Chris, right? He's just Chris in this film again. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. And he he just he he felt shoehorned in. That was it. Was one of the few things that stood out for me on this. Is in like it felt like Vinnie Jones had probably said, "Oh, go on, Skip, do us a favor, just get us in your new film." Go on, get us in there. And he was like, well, you can't really do much other than that Chris character that I've already had you as. But I've got a bit of stuff left over from Chris. I mean, it's the fact that, right, the first... I know it probably is a self-referential nod, I get it. But the fact is, like, first appearance on screen, he's slamming someone's head in a car door, right? Which was, like, <laughs> the most sort of famous scene in Lockstock is when Chris is doing that to the, to the fellow that's um, kidnapped little Chris. Seeing that again from the off, and I just I uh, I thought Vinnie Jones trying to do more of the the dialoguey stuff, the Tarantino esque. Uh, the fact I've got Desert Eagle printed down the side of mine, I was like, nah. This ain't this. That, this uh, look, I'll give it you done work for me. It done that work for me. That bit was toilet. That yeah. was stand absolutely... up, punch people, be yeah. a battering ram. But when he's trying to be all wordy and like that, I'm like, yeah, it's just that did not... not. It was no. not the one, was it? But can I just present the other side of this argument? Go on then. It made me like laugh out loud when he's just been beating someone's head in, and then the phone rings. He goes, "Bonjour." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really tickled me, and then it's like, oh, I love this song, and it's "Lucky Star" by Madonna. <laughs> yeah, <And laughs> which it's is a f- so fantastic. It's, it's the fact that it spawned a whole generation of people saying "penis" as well. You penis, yeah, yeah, man, that, like, I loved it. That is really fantastic. And it, what does he say to he's sort of Avi, like pull up your socks or something while he does the? It, oh yeah, yeah, it's got it's got a, it's got a decent little uh, touch up. But I think maybe you know it, it might be part of I just don't really like Vinnie Jones either, mate. Didn't like him as a footballer. Nah, didn't like him as a footballer. I hated him as a footballer. Uh, I don't like him as a bloke whenever I see him in interviews and stuff. I just like... Okay, let me give you you a tidbit on this then as well. So is this when you say he's really nice and he... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure I don't... He looks after uh, injured rabbits. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's got a a puppy shelter. Um, uh, Basically, Guy Ritchie, when they made Lockstock, he didn't get paid for it. Like, he just didn't get the money. Well, he says he's not sure he ever received the money for Lockstock. And so when they kind of... They made Lockstock on their own coin and then when they went to do Snatch, it was the first time that they had sort of money to play with and they went out to LA to try and sort of like get people bought in and stuff. Um, But I think he had a place in LA 
And he sort of said he put Guy Ritchie up for a, a few nights because they couldn't afford a hotel. And um, and he just said he was the most kind of like, he used to lend them money. He used to give that they would, while they were out dating people, he used to give them money so that this would be, um, is it Michael Vaughan, who's the producer? Um uh, Matthew Vaughan, sorry, Matthew Vaughan was the producer. Um, they uh, he used to like lend them money so they could take girls out on dates. And then <laughs> there was one time where Guy Ritchie said, "Oh, come and stay with me at my house." And he said, "Oh, here you go. Here's here's your room." And he said, "But that's that's your room, Vinny." He's like, "No, no, no. There's a the spare room. The other side. Like you have this one. It's just a nice room." And then Guy Ritchie woke up in the morning and went to the living room to see that Vinnie Jones was sleeping on the sofa because. He wanted Guy Ritchie to sort of feel at home, which I thought was just a really lovely thing that you like <laughs> for me. Vinnie Jones has always been that horrible guy that has got Paul Gascoigne's nudges in a vice grip, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's quite strange to hear the other side of that. But, um, but I, I guess also that's kind of a nice little lesson, right? That you kind of take care of people and they'll they'll pay it forward and take care of you because he really has no right to be in this film. Like there's not not really any need for his character at all. You know, it doesn't really. I, I think that's my biggest issue with it, right? When I watch it, uh, and that's it does kind stand of... out, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like I say, it do, he does feel shoehorned, but you know. I get it. He was very, very popular in Lockstock and a lot of people like him as a kind of quintessential gazer, you know? Yeah. Um, the hard nut, which is fine. You know, maybe I mean, I'm just being a, well enough. Maybe I'm being a snowflake about it, Ben. That, um, <laughs> Us yeah. never. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, mate, I, I, I know we always go on about this, but did you enjoy the soundtrack listening to it back? I did, and it was so of its time, right? Though that's yeah. the other thing, is right. It did, it, and as music does, it has that like effect of like taking you back somewhere, right? I mean, I know not all of the movies are of that time, but it's still, I guess, they're so tied to that film. It, it, it does take you back there, right? Yeah, I mean, Lucky Star by Madonna, I, I thought it was brilliant, but Ghost Town by The Specials. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. And, man. and that was kind of lovely that you had this juxtaposition or sort of the interplay of, you know, what I was saying about these kind of like subcultures. So you've got the traveler community, but then you've got the three sort of black guys that are um, yeah. they're trying to rob the bookies and then you've got the jewish community um the, and, and avi coming from coming over from america to me what was the name of the guy who played frank in eastenders i don't know what his character was called in this but it, he he was brilliant in this um oh god this is gonna absolutely kill me if i can't find it but he um he sort of just so soaks it up, doesn't he? Being the kind of like the guy who wants to be Jewish, but is not Jewish, which is just yeah, yeah. hilarious. Frank Butcher. At, yeah, Frank Butcher. I mean, just... Mike Reed. That's it, Mike Reed. So good. And even um, Benicio Del Toro, you know, as Frankie Fourfingers. You have these amazing little sort of groups of characters all working together but then every time that the the soundtrack kicks in it's sort of like perfectly aligned you know to, to to whatever's happening as soon as it cuts to them you have that that nice kind of alignment with the soundtrack that you, you know exactly who you're who you're with which i loved i thought it was really really cool really really liked it 
some real bangers in there. I'm just having a look at it now, like Dreadlock Holiday, 10cc, obviously. You know, yeah. And, uh, and also, uh, it's brilliant, like fucking in the bushes, the Oasis. Yeah. Uh, instrumental tune when he's going down for the last fight. It really, like, gets you going, that one. That is such a... Like, that is such a good... So Oasis had, um, had a couple of songs like that, right? Which is random sort of instrumentals that they just included in I think it was two in What's the Story Morning Glory that are just kind of random sort of untitled instrumental pieces. There's yeah. one maybe called like Swamp Song or something like that. And and they're just really, really sort of good kind of like hype songs. Um but there's there's one more, isn't there? There's one more kind of 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 the the kind of just instrumental songs that just get you absolutely buzzed up. It sort of does raise the tempo of the film really well. And the tempo of the film is great anyway. Like the tempo of the film is just, it feels like it's ticking along really quickly, which is it's, wicked. It's one of those big things though, isn't it? It's It kind of characterises a lot of Guy Ritchie's movies as it does with Tarantino. Their obvious kind of love of music and the fact that the music is so important they've built they've thought of a scene yeah that will be set to a piece of music it's not just something that they're like oh that'll work on that sequence afterwards you know (laughs) yeah it it does feel very intentional doesn't it yeah it really does and i think that kind of that comes across we're sort of talking about um guy ritchie on joe rogan and there's there's one really interesting conversation i do recall from that and it just really makes the point to me that he is he's a storyteller right the guy is he's just he's a natural born storyteller he obviously like lives for it he was sort of trying to rogan was basically asking him like what why do you lot all go on about the pub what's so good about the pub compared to like a bar over here it's the same thing right you go and you buy beer and he's like nah and he just kind of he explains like the pub the feel of it the kind of the atmosphere, the uh, the fact it's like an almost meditative space for some people. And he was talking about like how he loves living in LA. He's, you know, got has a great time out there. But he says whenever he comes, it's just this one bit in particular when he's talking about the pub and he's just saying like, one of the things he misses so much, he always makes time to do when he comes back to the UK, is just to find a proper old London pub, an old man pub somewhere, sit in the corner get himself a pint of lager and two packets of ready salted crisps. And he just said it like, he said, it's just something about just sitting there, not on these bars or something where there's no music playing, there's no screens or anything, just sitting there in an old pub that smells and just eating a packet of crisps and your mouth being salty and dry and washing it down with like a big gulp of lager and then cracking into your second bag and just kind of eating that as you go along with the pint. And he just got sort of just said, and just sitting there on your own and just not talking to anybody and not even really thinking about anything other than just having your packet of crisps and a beer. And he, just the way he sort of told it, I was just like, I'm, me just relaying that now poorly is like, I just want to go and do that now. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Literally, like, I was thinking that as you said it. Yeah. And I, what's even kind of more weird, I was like, I wonder what pint I would have. Like, what would be on the tap? You know? Mm. And that that in itself is quite a nice sort of... He's, he said, you know what I was saying about the whole... The, the idea of bringing these stories together... Yeah. He was saying so many of these stories that he used within the film were pub stories. 
they were sort of myth, that's legend cool. stuff that people had told him down the pub. And he was like, that's such a good story. I'd love to intertwine that. I'd love to get that into part of the... And you can imagine him being the sort of person that might hold court in the pub or would know yeah. people down the pub or would have a local that he goes to. And I do actually think, I mean, I know so much of this podcast is about nostalgia. I do get doughy-eyed for the idea of the pub. And it's another thing I don't think young people now have any interest in whatsoever. The idea of going to a pub that's probably a bit mangy, probably a bit smelly. But, but then wouldn't you say, I reckon even our dad's generation would say that of us, because like, I think like, yeah. you know, the likes of you or I, right, we'll go to a pub every now and again, right? I'm not there though every single night, know every single person no. in my pub. No. Do you know what I mean? And that it, it was, was the culture right? for a time, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, my dad told me before that, you would get a phone call to the pub landline from like your mum to say dinner was ready. Yeah. So like the, the pub is saying, like, oh, it's your mum. Like you, you lot have got to get, get home because your dinner's ready or like you got to get back. And they would it, it, every Saturday night, every Sunday night. And the culture was pub culture. And it was the idea that, and it's, it's strange actually, mate, because I sort of weirdly pine for something that I didn't do that often. You know, yeah. the pub for me was kind of like once a week, twice tops. Yeah. But I, and I, it was not like I was like some massive patron of, of the, like going there trying to keep the, the pub culture going. But it, at the same time, for some reason, it does, it really pains me when I see so many of them closed down. Do you know what I mean? That's quite an odd yeah, thing to is say, so. isn't it? And it's it's like, sad to see also so many of them become like what, what my mate refers to them as pulled pork pubs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where it's all <laughs> yeah. kind of, it's a, it's a, you know, a, an American diner style menu. It's craft beers. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a wooden varnished floor, not an old carpet. There's no did dartboard. Did you ever work at a pub? You know, I did work at a pub, mate. Yeah. And th there's was, something special I was, about being. I was good at it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'll go on. So look, what, like, what, what was the sort of, what was the setup of where you worked? What sort of pub was it? It was an old, so it's now again, it's one that's like really heavily gentrified, but this is going back 20 years now. Quite mad, really. So I was 18, just pulling pints behind uh, a, 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 a pub by the river, a pretty popular one. Um, but it was, yeah, it was old. It was carpets. It was like loads of tables inside. It was a big fireplace that would come on in the winter. Um it was lots of like big kind of like old car scales, you know, with the wooden levers that you have to pull yeah. the pints out of. Yeah. Lots of ales on tap. Um, a few spirits behind the bar, your famous grouse and Gordon's gin and stuff. Do you know what I mean? But nothing too fancy. Yeah. Just a, a proper old sort of young's pub, you know. Proper pub snack fair as well. The old dry roasted. No, exactly. no messing around. Walker's with crisps. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, I was the same, mate. I, I worked at a pub that had a dartboard, it had a jukebox. Did you? Nice. It had, like, roast dinners on Sundays, but nothing fancy in terms of the food. And there is, running through this film, there is that feeling of it, it somehow captures onto that feel and that culture without actually really doing... I mean, there's a couple of those scenes, you know, where it's set in the pub, but it's got that... For some reason, it's just got that feeling, you know, the you kind of as you just a little bit on. of that has bleed through from Lockstock. 
Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And I think you kind of just get it because it's the sort of conversations that you would have at the pub. It's kind of like yeah, the, yeah. the dialogue is very kind of like, it, there's no sort of Queen's English in there or King's no. English now, but it's it's all very kind of staccato, very choppy, very sort of very rough and ready language, you know? Do you know, I'll tell you what's funny about it, mate, and it's funny you say that because when I I was trying to sort of pin in my head really where it takes me to, I I know exactly the kind of era and the place exactly where it takes me to watching something like Snatch. And it's like when I first, when I was probably about like 17 and I started going to like Spurs without my old man and I would meet like yes. a couple of I would meet mates yes. up there try and get into like the pub beforehand and on a match day no one really cares that much so you're like in a pub and suddenly like you know when you're not up there with your kind of your family your dads or anything like that and you suddenly you see all the sort of various different characters and cultures that all collect together at the pub before the football and hearing all the different accents and the different stories and the different types of like geezers predominantly, especially like back then, you know, sort of 20 odd years ago, 20 plus years ago. Um, it does, it, it, sort of, it encompasses a lot of that same kind of feeling, right? I think that this vibe, film. yeah. Well, and also that at that point you would have been, that would have been the first time you realised that if you got into a bit of a scrape, you know, you weren't there with your dad. Nah, you know, yeah. you were there on your own, and you yeah. sort of feel like if someone didn't take a shine to you, you were you step you were on in a someone's bit of, foot. Yeah, you were in a what bit of bother there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, I mean, no. I think that's possibly why at uni that I watched this film so much, and why it kind of became a bit of our kind of parlance and our kind of like you sort of pick up on a lot of the quotes, like you said with the you peen ass, and like a variety of the other stuff that had just became part of our lexicon and, and, and just within our group of people at uni. It was because it was, you were, I think there was with, there was an era, wasn't there, with kind of the British gangster films where really it was a bit sad and it was a bit tragic, but everyone sort of like, started talking as if they were a bit of a gangster <laughs> and they thought they were a bit of a boy, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and and I think that particularly followed the football around as well. Yeah. That yeah. followed, that was everyone thinking they were a bit of a, bit of a lad and a yeah, bit of a geezer. All that sort and, of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Before you go and back it, to the home counties after the game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And your mum's got your tea ready for you. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I suppose that's the other thing with this film, right? Is that there is literally nothing about any female characters whatsoever i mean we get <laughs> one we get no, yeah. one into and i mean he is quite open about that guy richie well, uh, like, i guess uh mickey's mum that's it <laughs> mickey's mum but also the cashier who has a, gets the gun oh bets are yes off yes okay. And she, but, but at the same time, like every again, it's not a baggy script at all. Like every character that's in it serves a purpose and actually progresses yeah. the story. But there is just so little in the way of, of female characters. It's very kind of like of its time. Just lads doing lads things, mate. Yeah, exactly. And that, so, mate, I had a bit of a, um, I had a bit of, a, I wanted to see if I was right on this. Okay, so in my mind. When I was prepping for this, I was like, this film is crazy quotable. 
and this is putting you massively on the spot, but do you think you can think of five quotes from this film straight away? No. I, 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 I know bits, but I couldn't tell you them exactly verbatim. Do you know what I so, mean? Yeah, because I think, like, uh, instantly what comes to mind with it, and I think this, is, this shows sort of the time that I watched it, but we used to, be, like, I mean, we always used to be like, do you like dags? That yeah. used to come up all the time. And then their line that they used to say with the, the bad P word. And, and there was that thing with Tyrone. It's like, you used to be a rally driver, didn't you, Tyrone? Cool side, did. Uh, yeah, cool side, and did, yeah. The bricked up lives like, pull your tongue out of my arsehole, Gary. <laughs> Which it, is uh, brilliant as well. Was that horrible one as well? Stop me again and I'll cut your Jacobs off. Jacobs yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, Turkish. I'm sweat enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if he's Mohammed. I'm hard Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, yeah, yeah, that is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that is a brilliant and one. like I don't know, man, I didn't get my binoculars out, but they were all things that we all like at uni. <laughs> people used to say to each other all the time, and I think like I think that was the thing: the fact that it was so quotable, and the fact that it kind of had these this this sort of almost like caller and response feel to it. When I was rewatching it, I was kind of realizing I was like. We knew all the lines to this. We knew the the story inside out, inside and out. Like in order to get a film that you can actually give the time to over and over and over, I think it has to be funny. I think yeah. it has to make you laugh. It can't, and and that's why I would always go back to a thing like you know when we were talking about Beauty of the Beast and the Disney films and stuff. They're lovely stories and they're heartwarming, but they do make you laugh along the way. They grab hold of your attention, but they also make you chuckle. If you think of Aladdin, how many times you laugh during Aladdin at Robin Williams? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, all the time you're consistently just chuckling, chuckling, chuckling. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a sweet watch. This one, like, I quite, quite enjoyed that. Um, and we should go on to the MVPs, right? Because there were some big performances in here. But you've got a little bit of a left field one, and I don't know what you're going to go for. Well, I mean, I, I know, like the 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 sort of the critics choice is going to be Brad Pitt but for me it's it's the governor it's Alan Ford mate it I think is it Brick is it top, has to be the looming threat of him throughout the film like is you cannot underestimate that like the the fact that everything is so fraught because he is this horrible cunt, as he calls himself. <laughs> horrible cunt. <laughs> he is, he's terrifying. He's terrifying in such a way that is even more terrifying because he's, he doesn't have to do these big showy, like, I'm going to sort of do something. Do you know what I mean? He's, he doesn't, he's not quick to anger. Cut your Jacobs off is probably like the, the big part of it. But it's more just the threat of him, like the horrible it's kind the of... the menace, isn't it? The menace of the pigs that are there to eat people and the way he just conveys it. And he explains it. And that as well. Yeah, and the authority with which he speaks in every single scene he's in and his lack of fear of anybody, really, other than the other gangsters you say to him, they're not very happy and it makes you wonder how fucking ropey I they must be. I that, though. That was yeah. really interesting, right? When he's walking through... And he's like, lean on me. And then he goes to the next the next guy. And then he you can't see it, but he looks like he sort of slices him. He yeah. looks like he maybe kind of stabs him or something. And you're like, 
So there is still a layer cake here. There is still, even though you're you're crooked and Turkish doesn't want to be in debt to you, you don't want to be in debt to other people as well. Yeah. So he's not that he's not the highest in the food chain, but he does this thing, doesn't he? I don't know how he does it. He just manages to convey, I think because he's got quite a freakish appearance with those glasses. Yeah, and the way he like circles his tongue around in his mouth all the time. Yeah, and he just doesn't fit. But also there's that strange thing, I think, when you see when you see people being followed by other people without really even saying anything, it conveys that sort of feeling of, of like, aura. You know, he's just got an aura about him as he's, he's going around. There's an absolutely brilliant... Uh, so Armando Iannucci, the, you know, the sort of satirist writer, he, uh, he used to have his own show, the Armando Iannucci show, and it was just a sketch show. And he had this one sketch where he's like this middle-class kind of, you know, whatever, soft lad at home. And he's saying, oh, my, my washing machine is on the blink. Um, he, he, you know, he's calling up this helpline. Sorry, hi, my washing machine's on the blink. Would it be possible for you to send round an East End thug? And <laughs> Alan, Alan Ford shows up at the house and he's just, he's all very like, oh, hello, mate. Hello, yeah, um... Are you are you happy to be here then when I do this kind of thing? And I'm ending it. She said, "Oh yes, yes, fine. I'm just doing some washing up, so you just crack on." And then you see Alan Ford immediately switch into. He's talking to this washing machine, going, "There's a fellow here who's paid a lot of money for you, and he ain't very fucking happy." And he's like, he's like shouting and screaming at this washing machine in this like fashion, being like, "You better start fucking turning, or I'm gonna do the, I'm gonna Stanley your belt and all this." And then obviously at the end of the sketch, the fucking washing machine starts working. But it's just so good. I have to send it to you because I know you'd love it. Um, yeah, man. And he's just like he does it better than even down to his like what he's wearing. It's really strange, bizarre getup, isn't it? He's yeah, sort of, yeah. He, he, he just carries himself in that way that you're... And he was another one. He turned up to his audition um, and he forgot his contact lenses. So to Did borrow he? a pair of glasses and that's where the glasses came from. So that, that's, like, that's as soon as he went into the, in, into the audition, they were, like, they were like, right, it has to be you. And he auditioned for it three times. They were going to give it to um, Sean Connery. Oh, and, no. And Sean Connery was basically like, you've got a really good film here, but you can't afford me. And that's how he got the part. And I mean, what an iconic performance. I mean, that's mad. That's mad. Isn't, because, isn't it like, amazing? Connery, like, uh, you know, come on, man. He was, he was a great, but that role as Bricktop, you couldn't see anyone else doing that the same and way. I think that. it has to Alan be. Alan Ford is terrifying, mate. He's like, so scary. Like, so I'm actually scary. scared watching him and you worry about the kind of the the characters you know yeah he does that great thing that we've spoken about before where you don't know what the rules of the game are for him yeah you know you're like yeah. we're sort of playing by normal human rules yeah and social contract theory he's just taking the piss and doing whatever he wants and that makes him unpredictable which if, then if, makes if, him if, so if scary. you fall on the wrong side of him he will literally chop you up and feed you to pigs yeah, he's you're kind of like no, but Turkish. You, you won't really do that, will he? And you're like, you're yeah, not no, much good people. to me alive, are you, Turkish? Oh. You're like, oh, and the fact that he knows so much about how to feed people to pigs and talks about like wrenching their teeth out and stuff, it is so scary. But he is the MVP, isn't he? I mean, he 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 makes that he is the sense of dread and fear and jeopardy that gives both 
the boxing and the diamond side, the kind of thread that makes you panic throughout. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, and let's say a big assist to Brad Pitt. You know, a huge to... assist to Brad Pitt. And, and, I, like there's a couple of other like there's a couple of other like the the pre-assists I would say Jason Statham definitely as yeah. well um, I thought he was fantastic I thought um, I thought Tyrone was a, quite a nice turn you know he, he a couple of little moments there as well um, and and possibly to some extent you've also got cousin Abby. I thought it was a really like that was that was a really really good performance as well um okay mate what we've got to get there's a couple of little bits on the aging process find one and war crime I mean we do have to address the like, we're going to go with the use of the p word here right because I think it's it, I don't feel it's well we both don't feel that it's right for us to be um using a word that would be discriminatory and offensive, even watching it back and seeing it used in the film about a hundred times. Yeah. And I think it's a bit overdone as well. Like even within that, I think that's one of the things I sort of thought, you know, the whole kind of, I hate P words. It just the way it kind of, it's like you've done that joke, right? One or two of the characters has done it, but if you're getting basically every single character to say it, you know, you're kind of making a bigger point there and it just feels a little bit like, you know, do you just think, move past it. Do you think that the... what I, I would have no idea on this, but I wonder... I remember things like my Big Fat Gypsy wedding, right? There was a, there was a lot of talk around that at the time. Do you remember mm. that? Yeah. That... I never watched it, but I do remember the yeah the talk. Well, like, it, so. so I think I was in my second year of uni when it came out and... The big discussion at the time was is that people were, I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believed that the travellers that were on it were paid to be on it and were b accepting of, 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 like, being on it, wanted to do the show, um, but maybe hadn't been given... Firstly, definitely wouldn't have had any copy approval. Like mm -hmm. They would have just literally done the show and then sort of... Um, the way that they were represented within it would have been very much up to, I think it was a Channel 4 production, I imagine. Would have been, I think it was, yeah, would have been up to the production team. I wonder whether with with shows like that, whether people like the traveller community come away thinking that is that such a horrendous misrepresentation of what it is to be a traveller or whether there is, a, I mean... At times in this film, the use of the P word is really, really like, I mean, it's both deliberate and over the top, but also the way in which kind of the community is presented, they're presented as people that are, that have a smile on their face, quick wit, charm, kind mm. of Brad Pitt is presented like as someone who can fight as well and fight for his, both his community, but also outsmarts everyone in the end. You know, at the end of the film. Yeah, I think though equally like they are shown as being like dirty and living in yeah. mud and, and thieving as well. Yeah, like they're so going it's, to steal. It's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean it's look, look, look what we can say is really we can we can focus on this and yeah, it's right too, it's a fine minor war crime element, but 
basically every subculture in this is a caricature, right? They're all a caricature. And yes, I guess yes, with yeah. the, the traveler community, it's a caricature that's based on a stereotype that was particularly prevalent at that time. I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it's a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. This is just a period that we're talking about in the early 2000s. I remember it kind of mm. well. It was a sort of, you know, it was a flippant term that many of us used to say, you know, much in the same way that people would say, oh, that's gay. Do you know what I mean? It would be yeah, yeah, yeah. similarly used. The same thing, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And I guess that now, as, as, as is important, we're sort of understanding more and more about different communities and different cultures. And, you know, you've got people like Tyson Fury, who himself speaks up all the time about, you know, the way in which travelers are characterized and everything like that um and yeah i think that's probably just it's it's a relic of the time in which it was made right um i dare say that you know guy Ritchie himself probably you know doesn't stand by sort of any kind of like hatred or anything towards the traveling community i would i would imagine but i don't know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna die on that hill for him because i don't know (laughs) what's going on in his head but you know yeah i don't i the only thing that i've done that i have seen of him kind of referencing it there is a behind the scenes doc that basically kind of weirdly jason statham says to him it's like but isn't isn't it offensive and he's like yeah i think i think that people would say that it's not the right thing the not the right terminology but jason it's also a film and I was mm. like, oh, that's quite interesting. Like, you sort of, the, 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 there was almost a kind of a, a feeling that it's like, this is a fictional tale and that this use of that terminology is contained within the film. It doesn't extend more broadly. You know, it's, it's ju- it, that is the behaviours within the film of the well, criminal yeah. underworld. I mean, I get, and this is, this is a, Really, it's a particularly pertinent conversation because it's one of the sort of back thoughts that you see happen quite a lot now, right? Like, you know, I, I, I see people actively say, this is a reflection of the... Why is why do you have, say, a character always using the N-word throughout this film? And they will say, well, because they're an unpleasant racist character, you know? Yeah. But yeah. should you be using that word? Um and again, you know, the, the word, like I say, the word doesn't evoke a feeling of violence against me. So, yeah, perhaps I'm not best place to say it. But it's it's an interesting conversation nonetheless, isn't it? Like, you know, this type of thing, like whether or not, you know, bad characters on screen are going to say and do bad things. Um, and and I guess the other thing on top of that is it's kind of that, that point that I was just sort of getting at there around my big fat gypsy wedding is that it's like you almost you can't my idea of feeling a discomfort when hearing that terminology or the way in which people are portrayed what sort of what i feel uncomfortable is about is the idea that that some of the characters or some of the individuals that would have been displayed both have been snatched on my big fat gypsy wedding aren't able to speak for themselves the decisions are taken mm. away from them and the film and the production makes those decisions for them in the way mm. in which they're portrayed and it's quite clear that none of the characters within that were in snatch were were travelers or of, of traveler descent or, or or from that community so 
that's where my uncomfortability comes. But it also doesn't give me the right to speak on their behalf, no. if that makes sense. So it is quite a challenging one and it is quite a difficult one. I think where I would where I would agree and, and draw the line is that you just don't need to use that word that many times and you don't need to. It, it, that was just my feeling of watching it back this time around. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's this the you know it's, it's sort of gratuitous, isn't it? And yeah, you've made the that's it. Ultimately, like I'm saying, the thing is you've made your point, you know. And it's kind of as we said of um, the Jimmy character in Pulp Fiction, the yes. the, the yes. many times that Tarantino uses the M word in that sequence, you're like, this just feels like now you're being naughty and you know it and you're running. You with can't it. tell me off. Yeah, yeah, it's a film. So, you can't tell me off. Yeah, yeah. very, very similar. Um, how, how did it land on the old ratings, mate? Right. It's, this is interesting. So, IMDb, 8.2. Very good score. I mean, that's, 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 that's high, right? Um, yeah. Snatch on Rotten Tomatoes. Critic score, 74%. Um, audience score, 93%. Wow, Okay. However, mate, and I think it's worth bearing in mind now, now I'm seeing this, Metacritic is a US-heavy website, right? Snatch on Metacritic, 55%. Wow. Yeah. What um, was the... Well, it's, I mean, and these are all from... So let's say we've got Gregory Weinkow from the Dallas Observer... Amidst the embarrassing aura of a filmmaker desperate to be considered cool. Um, Jay Carr of the Boston Globe says, one could argue that Lock, Stock and Snatch are essentially the same movie. Crime comedies marked by an outlandish video style, which raises the question of whether Richie can do anything else. Ooh, um, interesting. Yeah. Stephanie Zacharek from Salon it takes a very clever schoolboy to make a movie as elaborately empty as Guy Ritchie's Snatch. I mean, it, it, so to, I mean, I don't just want to let it all off on that, but it feels kind of like some Americans not really fully getting, getting yeah, the culture yeah. in a way, if you know what I mean. Like, which is quite um, cool. Which does make it all the more interesting that Brad Pitt did enjoy it you know, that did enjoy Lockstock and was like, right, I'll have a bit mm. of that and I would like to be involved. So, I mean, that's quite interesting. I would say, though, at the same time, as much as I say that, apologies to any American listeners, the Austin Chronicles' Mark Savloff gave it 89% and said, Snatch is nothing if not watchable, has the insane popcorn rhythm of a Roadrunner cartoon. And for that reason alone, it's a minor masterpiece. That's a so, really good comparison. Yeah, it's a really you know. good comparison, actually. Did you? Like, I mean, I thought it was quite interesting with this. It didn't win any awards at all. I mean, literally nothing. Nothing. Like no Baftas. Nothing. Not even. Not even really nominated for anything, which is quite. I wonder whether that was something of the something around the time. I wonder whether that kind of sort of had kind of something to do with what was what was considered film at the at the time, whatever film would have been. Um, but yeah, well, do, you, I mean, do you want me to tell you something then, mate? Go on, mate. I can tell you what did win some awards, and that's the film that I'm going to choose for next week. Oh, okay, right. Bring the lights down. Let's get the music on. My favourite part of the pod. Tell us where we're going. 
So, I mean, it's it's not often that you have a movie that's based on a best-selling book and you tend to have people say that the movie, that the legacy of the movie far outlives that of the book, um, especially, like I say, when the book has been a bestseller. The, this film, it, it, its legacy doesn't just live on as in is considered a great film. By many people, it is considered the greatest film ever made. And it launched and kind of, you know, signaled the end of the careers of some of the greatest ever actors that have appeared on screen. There's an entire culture and genre of films that have been spawned out the back of this film. It won countless awards. It's still on a lot of people's like now playing lists. It doesn't seem to have aged a day, but I guess we'll see. This week's film is going to be The Godfather. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> this is the, this is the mm. first one. I mean, what a shout, but this is the first one. I think this is the first one on the kind of the untouchables list, right? I think so, yeah. This is the first one that we've had where it's like, okay, okay. Both had it on our lists. Both know we like we've got to give this the love that it deserves, right? We've got to give this some some serious attention. Can can I can I tell you why I've gone for it now? Please do. There's, yeah. There's, there's a lot of reasons, right? So I've been casually number one. I've been casually rewatching The Sopranos again lately. Right, I and saw you tweet about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a, so there's you know a lot of talk about the Godfather and things like that within the within the the Sopranos itself, and it's just it's obviously it's some some mob drama. It's heavily influenced in part. I've been having this. You know, one of our, our good friends, our mutual friends, Tommy's just moved back to Italy, and I've, I'm sort of feeling like God. I miss it. It's one of my favourite countries to visit. I love going there. And I love the whole, like, the the midsection of this film when Michael goes back to Italy. They capture, like, oh, the yeah. essence of, like, life and kind of, oh, just the, all of it is it's so beautifully portrayed on screen. The the When we were talking the other week about James Kahn, um, how he was yeah. going to be considered for Meet the Parents, we've had Robert De Niro, who obviously doesn't appear in the first film, but still he's part of that universe. We've got Al Pacino, one of the biggest actors of all time. Got you know, we've got um, Marlon Brando again. One way ticket to Belucaville, one of the biggest actors, screen presences of all time. I just thought it's coming up to summer. It's kind of it's it's one of those movies that weirdly it has that kind of summery sunshine feel about it to me, which I don't know why. I'm not so sure why. No, but it's, it's that midsection, like you said. I think so. Because Italy is so beautifully portrayed in it. And I you just know. think you teed it up with Snatch this week, having the kind of the, the gangland gangster star thing. I thought, you know what? I think, because like I was saying to you before, you know, I do consider like, and I know you do as well, we do consider where is a good step to go after the pod we've just recorded, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you can't jump in from I'm Beauty and so the Beast glad. to Bride of Chucky. So it's it's yeah that's big big uh, big energy from from you there to to go for the I Godfather. Know. I'm like I'm in awe. Are of... you a bit cross? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I just didn't have the bravery 
and I'm glad that you do to lead us forward. I've <laughs> I'm, in. I'm buzzing to watch this man. Like I'm really bad. And I like I mean I haven't watched this in I want to say like could be like five years, Love maybe that. more. So like possibly more. Could be coming up for almost ten years. Um, and I watched them all back to back. I watched them as the first time that I ever watched them. I watched them all back to back and yeah. just completely taken by them. I can't, there's so many little bits that I'm already like really excited to watch again. Like the manipulation of the kind of the idea of like, actually we just said it about Bricktop. It's like, you don't want to be in debt to me, do you? Yeah, no. like that, that is just, oh, fantastic. Mate, what a pleasure. I can't wait to do it. Buzzing to get onto that. Yeah, loved it. I'm glad you, glad you enjoyed it, mate. I'm, good choice this week as well. Good, good old, good old chin wag. Yeah, man, love that. And I'm I'm going to get myself out to see Indiana Jones. Also, if you've seen any of the films that we we've spoken about, and you want to have your own say, get involved at BYOB Pod, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're across the works. Get involved and, and let us know your thoughts. If there's anything we've missed on the show today that you would like us to talk about, just shout us out. And as ever, um, if you wouldn't mind dropping us a, a rating of the five-star variety and a bit of a, of a review, it would be very much appreciated. Buzzing for next week now, mate.